First of all, hallelujah! It is, it's fourth and 46. McNabb is back. He's looking. He is firing. And it is caught by Freddie Mitchell. And Bazarchik fumbles the football. It's picked up by Herman Edwards. 15, 10, Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sundays for the Birds, the only show that makes every day feel like game day, motherfucking Sunday. You already know who it is, what it is, and what the fuck we do. Mayor John Street joined by my man, my motherfucking dog, my partner in crime, and my co-host, Kyle Not-So-Sharp. What's going on, brother? Let's just say it's a good thing there is playoff baseball on for Philly tonight, so we can all quickly forget about that de- about yesterday's disaster. Yesterday. Absolutely. So we're pre-recording this episode for you guys. You know, normally we go live on Tuesday, but your boy is going to be at game two of the NLCS tomorrow night, tailgating, ripping it up. You already know what I do down there. Um, so we're pre-recording this episode. It'll come out to you live just before the Phillies game. Get you all caught up on everything that's going on with the Eagles. Um, speaking of what's going on with the Eagles, the Big Apple was not too kind to us. Uh, we went into that game 12-0 and all time against the New York Jets, mm. and we leave 12-1, and unlucky number 13, as the Philadelphia Eagles fall to the Jets in what we both figured would be a low-scoring affair. Um just didn't come out on the side of it that we thought we would. And although I called this as our first loss at the beginning of the season, um, obviously I was counting on Aaron Rodgers playing for the Jets then. Yeah, kind of uh, kind of backtracked a little bit once we thought Zach Wilson was in there. Yeah, well, and, and then you right before kickoff, right, you see that Sauce Gardner's out. Um, and, you know, they're on their fifth different variety of starting offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Like, it just – Everything was lining up for the Eagles to do something great, and they just didn't. And, you know, I don't want to undershadow here what Lane Johnson means to this football team because that offense looked completely different once Lane went went out with uh, with what we are hearing is a high ankle sprain. X-rays came back negative, at least some good news. So, I don't know. It was just – it was a it was a barn burner. It was an absolute like just burn the tape. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I want to ask you: Nick Sirianni did not address the team after the loss. What what are your thoughts on that? 
I don't know. I didn't see that or hear that. I, I don't know if there's some kind of, you know, maybe coach thing where he's going to get in somebody's head and or whatever. I, I don't know. I didn't see that. And I, I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, but, it's never happened in the history of professional football. Yeah, that's, I don't know, maybe it's a family thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I got nothing to say about that. That's maybe something that as the week comes out, we'll maybe, uh, we'll get in uh, some of his pressers and we'll hear something and we could touch on it later on in the week. But as for this week, right? Like we talked about it before the game, you know, DJ Reed, we knew was going to be out very good corner. And we kind of said, you know, whoever's opposite sauce Gardner, you know, the Eagles should pick on him, mismatch that sauce Gardner ends up being out too. So you got two really good corners out and then they just really struggled offensively. You know, you mentioned Lane Johnson going out, but I think Devontae Smith played maybe the worst game of his career. Quite a few uncharacteristic drops from Devontae. And, um, you know, I don't think he's going to make a habit of it. I mean, we, we know what Devontae is and what mm-hmm. he can do. Um, but definitely not his best game in Midnight Green. That's for damn sure. Yeah, it, it wasn't even just the drops, right? Like, the drops are one thing, but there was a couple times where it just looked like he was getting out physical, like, just like he was getting like, I know he's a small guy, but he's never really gotten out physical, out manned like that. And I just felt like he was getting manhandled a couple times. Um, Where on the opposite side, A.J. Brown was was playing extremely physical. Yeah, which he always making does. Making contested catches, yeah. taking guys for a ride with him. Um, I don't know. Just interesting. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, like I said, Devonte absolutely terrible. What I did like was uh, post game. Somebody asked him about some of the drops, and he manned up to it. He just said, "I got to play better. Catch the damn ball." Like I, I love to hear that. So I don't expect to see another repeat performance like that. But I, I think the big thing I want to talk about though is Jalen Hurts. Before we get into that, I, I do want to bring up something about the first quarter. So okay, the first quarter was probably the best the offense looked the entire game. Yeah. Um, and I will say this: they did some, they did some of the stuff that me and you have been calling yeah. for them to do in that first quarter. You know, like we've been talking all season about how we want to see them run. You know, two running backs in the backfield, um, split swift out wide, uh, some motion. There was one play in particular where you saw you had Boston Scott and DeAndre Swift in the backfield with a jet motion from AJ Brown and mm-hmm. the play worked. I mean, you know, Boston Scott took, took the reception on that play. And I, I want to say he picked up 12 or 13 yards on it. Like they were finally starting to, to do some mismatches and, and, and get the guys out in motion and, you know, really utilize some of these weapons in the first quarter. And then it just stopped. So I always appreciate how you want to bring up the positive before the negative. I really appreciate that about you. I just want to throw that out there, but Deandre Swift, 16 targets the last two weeks, love to see it. It's something we talked about preseason. First couple of weeks, we didn't really see it. And then these last two weeks, it's just been like, boom, in your face, like just getting, you know, a shitload of targets. I love to see it. It really hasn't come to fruition yet where he's taken one of these short passes and broken a big play, but it's only a matter of time, right? It's kind of an extension of the run game. I, I love to see it. That's probably that and Hassan Reddick looking like he's really back to his old self are probably the two biggest positives I took away from this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I'll, I'll say this. 
I don't know why we didn't run the ball more late. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are talking about the game plan going into the game, right? And I almost feel like they had two game plans. I feel like there was a game plan that they worked on all week. And then all of a sudden there was another game plan when they saw that DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner were both going to be out. Um, I, it just felt like they were forcing the pass entirely too much. Mm. You know, I, I think we've kind of heard that a couple times, you know, this year so far. I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, obviously, yeah, you got to be more balanced to prevent that. But I, I don't really have a problem with the way the game was called. I just really have a problem with how it was played, if that makes sense. Right. Like if you want to be a pass first team, that's fine. I think you have the talent. I think you have the personnel to be able to do it. But you got to execute it. And at some point, if you're not execute, executing it, like you said, you got to get the run game involved to try to get the offense going. And I, I already brought it up. This was probably, you know, I already said it was Devontae's worst game of his career. This was probably Jalen Hurts' worst game of his career, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I mean, he, he already has more turnovers this year, or at least interceptions, than he did all of last year. And we're six games in. I'll say this. You can kind of negate one of those interceptions where the ball popped out of Goddard's hands and it was and it was picked off by, of all people, Quentin Williams after it got deflected up. Like the fact that that ball didn't hit the ground and it just and the fat guy yeah. just so happened to catch it like that's so you can take away one of them. But I'll say this, the one in the fourth quarter late um, that pretty much sealed the deal on the game was probably the worst interception I've ever seen a Philadelphia quarterback throw. It, it was it was sloppy mechanics. It was a poor read. He forced the ball into double coverage, and he wasn't he didn't have solid footing to to really deliver the ball. Like if you're going to throw the ball into double coverage like that, you got to at least have a solid base enough that you can really zip the ball in there to where only your guy can get it. Um, but to, to make that throw off balance the way that he did, like that play right there breaks every rule that you're ever taught as a quarterback. Mm. Yeah, it, it wasn't even like, I mean, A, like you brought up how he threw it was bad. But it was just the fact that he threw it, right? Like that's like a throw where like I see Nathan Peterman or one of these other garbage ass quarterbacks who come in off the bench, don't really belong in the league. They drop back, throw the ball right to the linebacker, and I like I almost like laugh out loud sometimes because it was just such a dog shit read. And it's like, do you not see the linebacker right in front of your face? And it was kind of almost like that with that throw. Like he just like dropped back, threw it right to the defender, and it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that's not something you expect to see from a top tier quarterback. And I'll I'll even take it one step further to defend Jalen a little bit. Even his second turnover, you know, he kind of held onto the ball a little long, but like his arm did get hit and it kind of went up in the air. So, like, you know, I'm not just saying it was his worst game because he had three turnovers. And like you said, some of the turnovers, can they can be fluky sometimes. But it's just worth noting that already through half a dozen games, he has more turnovers than he did last year. That's just something I think, you no, know, shouldn't go and unnoticed. He wasn't making great reads yesterday either. Like, there was one play where there was a crossing pattern um, where the ball ended up yeah. going to um, ended up going to A.J. Brown. But Goddard was one-on-one -on -one up the seam, and he had his man beat. Like that's that's one of those big play dagger type potential plays that, that can demoralize a defense. And it was pretty early on in the game when you were already up two scores. And it's like, well, why not? Like if you're if 
we all feel that this offense is best when they're pushing the ball down the field. Right. So why not push the ball down the field there when you have a guy beat one-on-one? Um, there, there was another play. It was an RPO with Boston Scott in the backfield where Hertz handed the ball off and led Scott directly into a linebacker. Boston Scott, ended, he ended up cutting it back and getting three yards back. Um, but it, it still ended up being like a four-yard loss after he gave himself up. Meanwhile, Hertz could have could have pulled it down and he would have been wide open to run for, you know, four or five yards um, up the other side. Yeah, I, I've always questioned his decision making in the RPO game, whether keeping it, giving it to the running back, throwing it. See, I haven't until this year. Like that's that's part of why that they implemented this RPO style offense is because he did it so well in Oklahoma and at Alabama. Like they looked at the tape on him and said, "Okay, what does he do well? How can we incorporate this into our offense?" And they did, and they did it well. Um, but you're starting to see the, the defenses across the league really start to figure it out, and you know it's only going to get harder. Like we're we're running into a gamut here. Like I don't want to get too far ahead because obviously we're we're talking about the Jets game, but you know you got Miami next week, and then you yeah. get into that gauntlet. By, by the way, nobody thought Miami was going to be this tough. I mean, like, beginning of the year when we were talking about the schedule, it was kind of like, oh, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Niners. And, like, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, Miami's a tough game, but, like, you're worried about these guys after them. Miami's as tough as they come right now. Right. It, like, And not for nothing, like, I feel like when I looked at the when I looked at the schedule, I figured two would be on IR by then. <laughs> I hear you on that. But the the thing the thing is you're gonna tell me I'm contradicting myself, right? The thing about the RPO game is he does it really well because I think it fits his skill set. But I've always also at the same time felt like he just makes the wrong read sometimes. But because it's like like if this makes sense, he pulls the ball instead of handing it to the running back, but he still turns it into eight yard game. So it's like, well, nobody pays attention to the fact that there was a big gap for the running back, right? Right. So it's like the, the RPO game, I'm not, like, too worried about. Like, with that, it's really just the decision throwing the ball, right? Like, last year, I felt like he was so accurate, and he just constantly put the ball in the right spot. Like, you know, everybody misses reads there now, but I just feel like right now, I don't know if he's, like, I feel like he's not going through his progressions right. Like, it's like he's looking here when he should be looking here. He's looking here when he should be looking here. And that's, like, I think the biggest issue for me, if that makes sense. No, I, I agree. And and we've talked about this for a while too. Like a lot of it is he's not the greatest at reading the defense from the line of scrimmage either. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why you run the RPO game. Uh, it, it allows you to let the defense make the first move and you can react to it as opposed to trying to anticipate what their moves going to be from the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So, so, You've always been a Jalen guy. I've always kind of, I don't want to say an anti-Jalen guy, but I didn't think he had what it took, right? But then I, I, you know, walked back my words as I do a lot because I'm wrong a lot. And I said, no, he's good. You know, he, he's playing well. But even despite the fact that he never really read a defense great, I felt like he still was reading him better than what he is now. Like, like last year, the biggest thing was he was so fucking accurate, dude. Like one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league last year. Every once in a while, yeah, he wasn't great reading the defense, but it kind of went unnoticed because of how accurate he was. This year, like, I just feel like it's a whole nother level where it's like, it's just way off, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know what? I heard John Ritchie say this earlier this morning. It, 
it seems like he's being underdeveloped by this coaching staff. And he's almost taken a step back this year because of that. You know, and, and I don't know if it's because maybe he has too close of a relationship with Brian Johnson. Mm. Um, j- just something to consider there. But um, I definitely agree. Like, for a guy that's gotten better every year that he's played football, to finally like to to show his first signs of regression this early, um, it's it's a little concerning. I'm not gonna lie. Now I still have all the faith in the world in the guy. I, I believe in him. I believe in his work ethic. I believe he's gonna he's gonna he's already watching tape. He's already trying to figure out what went wrong. And you know I respect the fact that he he went up to the podium after the game and he said you know we turned the ball over entirely too much today. You can't expect to win games when you turn the ball over six times. And, you know, he's 100% right about that. But that doesn't change the fact that it, it was a very concerning game as far as Jalen's concerned. Yeah, the, the one thing I don't think me or anybody else has questioned about Jalen is his work ethic and his character. He's always been spot on, like saying the right stuff, always a super hard worker. That, so that that's never been a problem. There was one point in the game I near the end is in the fourth quarter. I, I don't know. I think it was after he threw the interception where they showed him on the sideline and he just didn't look in it. He kind of just like, like normally he's always like cool, calm, collected. He's got like this composure about him. It didn't look like that. It just looked like he was kind of like, whatever, like I'm just here. Like he didn't look like he was in it. I don't know if you, it was, it was after he threw the third interception, but that was just something I kind of took notice of. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's that's the sign of a guy that expects more from himself. And, you know, for for a guy that expects to play at such a high level, um, you know, I'd almost rather him sit on the sideline and, and just kind of keep to himself and and, and be with his thoughts. Um, you almost kind of respect that a little bit more than than when Tom Brady used to spike his helmet yeah, on the sideline. Yeah. You know, I think that was, was one of the things that rubbed people wrong about Tom Brady was you know he used to like kind of pitch a hissy fit on the sideline, if you will. Yeah, and 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 that's that's a fine line between passion and you know looking like an ass. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jalen hurts aside, right? Like I, I think we can all admit he played a terrible game. The offense, the offense as a general, whole wasn't great either. Yeah, when we, again, we talked about it already, but with DJ Reed out and Sauce Gardner out, you don't expect to not score in the entire second half. I mean, like they had 14 at half, and then for the entire second half not to put any points on the board. Granted, I know Jake Elliott missed a field goal. It was right after we were comparing him to David Akers kind of last week. So, like, that's on us. You know, Philly Philly all over where can hate on us. That That's our fault right there. But not to score a single point in the second half really hurts. You know what's kind of crazy though? There was a ton of missed field goals all day yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think there was like four or five missed field goals just in the Browns and San Fran game alone. Don't even get me fucking started on the San Fran game because my parlay I killed had, my parlay too. They had San Fran out two of my parlays, so three hundred dollars on it paid out like I don't know nine hundred whatever. San Fran was the last leg. Fucking Brock Purdy goes down the field. You know, after a couple questionable calls in defense, gets the guys in field goal range. Jake Moody, fucking Michigan player. You can never fucking trust him. And he misses a 41-yard field goal, and my parlay doesn't hit. So don't even get me started on the field goal kicking. Um, I, I saw this thing. 
one time it was online and it was like this guy really didn't watch sports and somebody asked him about it and he's like i just watched the games casually and he's like i feel like kickers get paid to kick and they can't even do that and i'm just like sitting there i'm like that's how it feels man that's how it is like but uh, enough about jail and enough about the offense you know we could talk about that all day I, I do think they'll correct it um you know i said this earlier talking to a buddy at work right is I think Jalen Hurts might have had a, a his breakout season last year. And everybody put the expectations up here, like this was going to be the new norm. And now that he's playing here, he's still playing at a really good level, maybe not like the level he was last year. But I think that we set the bar too high, and it's kind of like maybe us as fans need to look back at what the standard is and think the standard's going to be a little bit different. How, how do you feel about that? See, I don't know, because to me, I think the expectations were right. I still expect this team to perform better than they have. Yeah, I, I expect them to perform better. I think Jalen can play a little better himself. I still expect them to be a top team in the conference. Which, which they are, despite some of their struggles. I'm just talking more specifically about Jalen. Do you think maybe last year was a breakout year, career year? You see it sometimes where guys bust out into the scenes and then teams readjust a little bit. Do you think maybe we're seeing that here, or is this just something It's just a little phase? I mean, it's, it's six-game sample size. It, it's it's tough to say, uh, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, and, and I don't want to keep going back to this, but first year with a new offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, you know, the offense as a whole hasn't really looked great. Um, and, and I told you before that it, it's almost like they do a piss poor job of scheming some guys open. So like a lot of the time, I feel like he's, he's having to make throws that should otherwise be a lot easier. Excuse me, parched there for a second. I have to go a little bit of a drink. No, I, I think you might not be right at that, or you might be right about that. And and I do want to say one thing, right? Like we can sit here and, you know, like whenever our team does bad, we always want to say, oh, the Eagles does, ah, oh, this is blah, blah, blah. I just want to give like some respect to Robert Sala. He's a great fucking defensive, you know, coach. You know, he really established that defensive culture in San Fran. He's really turned it around in the Jets, you know, despite not having Aaron Rodgers, like that team's still competitive. Like, so I do, like, I do think he had his boys ready to play and I do want to give a little bit respect to him. You know, well, not we to talked say about this on Tuesday too. Like the biggest part of being a head coach is being a leader of men and, and, and I'll give it to him. He's yeah. definitely got that team, you know, despite losing Aaron Rodgers early in the season and, and despite in yesterday's game, not having DJ Reed, not having sauce Gardner, your fifth different offensive line combo to start the season. Um, he had them ready to play. He had those boys fired up and ready to go. Um, real quick, I, I'd like to throw it over to our defense. Um, overall, solid game. Um, I'll say this. They picked on Josh Job just like I thought they would. They did. Um, I also don't think Bradbury played well at all. Bradbury didn't have his best game either. Um, there was a play in particular where it was like a screen. Or like a, what do you call it? what do you call those smoke screens where it's like they snap the ball they throw it right over to the the yeah. edge there's no there's no really blockers out there and 
I know Garrett Wilson's got a little shiftiness to him, but it, it just was a weak ass fucking tackle attempt. And then he like scooted by and got like five, six yards. Nothing crazy, but I didn't think Bradbury played great. Obviously, you know, Job's younger. He's been struggling a little bit. Like, I hate to say it, we kind of expected that almost. But it is what it is. What do you think about the other corners? I mean, Eli Ricks got there in there for a couple plays. You know, you think, did you see anything from those guys? Or it was really just really just Joe not playing great again? I, I You know, I kind of, and it, maybe it's not fair to Josh, but I'm kind of ISO cam on him at this point. Um, but no, I mean, I feel like the defense as a whole, like as a unit, played well, which is great considering what happened last week. So I feel like they played well when you look at, you know, it's an NFL game. They gave up less than 24 points, but we also talked about it, right? Like Zach Wilson's dog shit. I felt like he moved I'll the ball that, too much on our yes, defense. Yes, but if you've been watching the Jets this season, like I'll say this too, like Zach Wilson, for all of his shortcomings, he's taken a couple of massive steps forward just in the past month. Not, I I still think he's a bottom five quarterback in the league, but he's not a bottom two quarterback in the league anymore. Like he's he's taking steps, and when you have some of those weapons that you can throw the ball to, and when you can run the ball effectively, you know it, that gives you an opportunity to to be in some games that you otherwise probably shouldn't. I I don't know if I can get on board with saying he's played better this year than last year. I'll say I think this game was his best game of the year so far and he did a good job of taking care of the football which he's done better of the last couple weeks so i guess if you look at it from that aspect he's taking care of the ball not putting the defense in bad situations yeah all right he's playing better he's getting garrett wilson involved but at the end of the day like i i still don't think he's a starting nfl quarterback i don't either so when you you let up 20 plus points to that you know when it's like other teams you know they've just kicked field goals all day like that it doesn't sit well with me well hold on now because because mind you a lot of that was on short fields you turn the ball over six times that's true six i'm pretty sure it was six turnovers three interceptions swift fumble did Brent covey fumble i'm pulling up the box score now i mean yeah they, they were on some short fields but again, we talked about Jalen Hurts turning the ball over. The defense had been doing a good job of creating turnovers, and they didn't really do that yesterday. I'm sorry, it was four. It was four turnovers. Okay, four turnovers. Yeah, I mean, one, either one either way, and three interceptions. Either way, your point still stands. Like they did have some some short fields. And oh what yeah, have you. and the defense stood their ground on a on a couple of them. Yeah. Um, it was really that last that last touchdown at the end was was really was really kind of the 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 seal the dealer for the um for the jets and, and also against the eagles d so I, I wanted to ask you about that right because that play just looked kind of awkward it looked like the defense wasn't set like he kind of came up the middle and terrell edmonds came down on the box and kind of just like half-assed attempted to tackle like what was that I'm still trying to figure it out okay but it wasn't just me right like you kind of felt like something was off there too yes Okay. Yeah, like I said, I'm not going to say it was their best game as a defense, but they're on on my list of reasons why we lost that game. 
the defense isn't even in the top five. Shoot, I mean, if we're giving five reasons they lost, I mean, they weren't the reason they lost. Like, they didn't put them in a position to succeed, if you will. But, like, it definitely, they weren't the reason they lost. No, I, w- I wouldn't say that at all. I agree with that 1,000%. Right, and, and in such an offensive league, like, you, I'm sorry, but defenses don't win games anymore. Defenses in the NFL and the modern NFL are there to not lose you games. Oh, okay. I, I would agree with that. You're like, you're not the 85 bears aren't walking through that door, right? You're not going to get a team that wins because of their defense. Yeah. I mean, there might be like games here or there where teams do. Right. But like as a whole, you're not fucking putting your stamp on the field. Like, you know, yeah, we won because of our defense. That's how we won 11 games made the playoffs. No, you got to win because your offense in today's league. Thousand percent, absolutely. Um, another injury that kind of you know went unnoticed with obviously Lane Johnson being the all pro tackle, he is he gets all the pub. Justin Evans got injured, uh, Meke Gardner came in, yeah. Sidney Brown was a late scratch, he didn't play, also. Yeah, you know, I don't know too much about Meke Gardner, but I guess he was a former corner that I guess they've been transitioning over to safety. Yeah, they elevated him from the practice squad. All right, yeah, so. Safety, you know, we're weak at to begin with, and once again, problems there. Let's talk about linebacker, though, right? Like, we uh, we said N'Kobe Dean, he's coming back, right? Like, he's got to play the most snaps. He ended up playing the third most snaps. Cunningham and Morrow started. Uh, Cunningham led the team in snaps, and then Morrow played, like, three or four more than Dean. Is, is this a one-week thing where they're warming up Dean back in, or... Well, I th- What's I think going on there? Off an injury, he may he may have been on a on a bit of a snap restriction. Okay. Uh, coming back off an injury, um, you know, first game back hasn't played in you know hasn't played since week one. Um, I, I'm we'll, we'll have to see what happens next week against um against a, a very tough Miami team. I think you'll see if everybody's healthy. I think you'll get a, a better idea of what the linebacker rotation is really going to be moving forward through the season. Um, T- typically you just, you don't see a guy come back in 32 snaps. Like, like that's just an odd amount. Like if they're on a snap count, they're playing 10 to 20 snaps where they're like all the way ready. So for him to play that amount of snaps, I thought it was a little odd. Um, and I think it's gonna have to be something we watch further because he, he's got to play, right? Like, you know, this is year two. You got rid of TJ Edwards last year. You know, I, I would have loved to seen him resign. So he he's got to play. He's got to turn to the player they want him to be. So like this this isn't something that we can continue on. No, I I agree. And like I said, I, I think you're gonna see him start to play a few more snaps. I'm not putting too much um too much into his snap count for you know again his first game back off of the IR, um particularly at the linebacker position too because like. Your snap counts at linebacker tend to be pretty wonky anyway. Mm. Um, when you start throwing in different, um, you know, different nickel and dime kind of looks, quarters coverage, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like your linebackers are usually your first guys that get subbed out uh, when you're adding personnel to the, to the defensive backfield. So, all right. So, dog of the week. Uh, you know, I still feel like we got to do it, even though the team lost. My pick was Milton Williams. I felt like, you know, he didn't play great, but he played good. I, you know, I think he got in there for a sack. I don't know if they gave him half and they gave Reddick the other on that one play, but he did get in there for a sack. 
it's tough to give if you know dog of the week out, but like I think if we had to give it to anybody, I think I'd give it to either Milton Williams or Hassan Reddick. I'm going Hassan Reddick. Um, back to back two sack games. He's starting to come back into what we hoped he would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that cast really was affecting him more than we thought. Yeah, I mean he's a guy that relies pretty heavily on hand on hand to hand combat too, right? So you know, as a pass rusher, your your ability to hand fight is absolutely crucial to your ability to get to the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I really discounted that. Um, but five and a half Especially sacks. Especially a guy like Reddick, too, because he, he doesn't really use the bull rush. Like, Brandon Graham's, like, a, a pretty steady bull rush, pass rush kind of guy. Reddick's I, undersized. Like, yeah, I yeah. feel like Reddick, because of his size, he's, he's a little more technical uh, with his pass rush moves. You know, while we're talking about edge rushers, right? Like, I'd like to see them get Nolan Smith a little more involved. I agree. I, I don't know if he was on the field at all. But you're certainly not hearing his name called uh, when he is on the field, right? Yeah, but that's true. But I just don't know if he's getting enough run. Like, if a guy's getting four snaps a game or five snaps a game, you know, you can't really say, oh, well, he didn't make an impact, right? Like, it's, it's hard in such a super small sample size. Right. You know, he's a guy that. If Jalen Carter wasn't there at, was it nine or 10 they picked at? It was nine, right? Nine. Yeah, yeah nine. It, you know, if Jalen Carter wasn't there at nine, the Eagles could have taken Nolan Smith at nine. And I feel like a and lot of nobody would have questioned. Exactly. It. So the fact they got him at 30th and like he's not really playing, like I, I'd like to see him get a little more involved. And I don't think there's a reason why he shouldn't. Well, and, and we kind of talked about this to start the season off too. Like, he profiles so similarly to Hassan Reddick. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you almost wonder if maybe that is part of the contributing factors to why he's not getting as much, you know, time on the field. Like, unless it's an obvious passing situation, you're probably not going to see both of them on the field at the same time. So then that would lead me to the question. And Josh Sweat had a career year last year. Brandon Graham had a career year last year. Um, both of those guys have been relatively quiet to start this season. Um, but a, a, again, I think unless it's an obvious passing situation, you're not going to see them pull those other two guys to get Nolan Smith opposite of, uh, opposite of Reddick. Now that's not to say that you can't run, um, you know, like a five man front one linebacker, um, and, and try and, you know, manufacture some snaps for them and, and run some crazy stunts, get everybody on that line a mm. one-on-one matchup. I think you could absolutely do something like that. See, if that's the, the issue, him and Reddick being similar builds with kind of smaller guys, my question would be then, what's the thought process behind drafting him? It, you know, because hopefully Reddick's not going anywhere anytime soon. So at what point... Is Nolan Smith going to get on the field? Well, one, I think it's best player available. It was, okay. It was definitely a best player available type of pick. Um, and I think the other thing that, that you got to look at, too, is like this offseason, Reddick was talking about wanting a new deal. And if maybe the Eagles aren't necessarily prepared to give him that deal. Oh, that's a topic. Not to say that that's what it is, but could be it could be a thing where similar to the Packers drafting love everybody's like oh but they're thinking years in the future right could be that kind of a situation okay and also remember that Hassan Reddick had a career year last year also Mm -hmm. 
And if he's going to get paid based off of that production, the Eagles might not have the cap room for him. If you want to keep, if you want to keep Devontae Smith, you want to keep AJ Brown, you already paid Jalen Hurts. Goddard's going to be due for another contract, I think, within the next two or three seasons. The tight end market just got reset. Yep. Um, you know, the cap might not be there for Reddick. That's a tough conversation that's going to have to be had. I agree. And and so if best player available is a guy that we both agree would we would have been happy with it at nine or ten. If that guy's there at 30 and you even remotely think that there might be a question mark two years down the line, absolutely you draft that guy. Plus, you still have Brandon Graham who could retire at any moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you put it like that, I was not thinking about Hassan Reddick being an eagle. I was kind of almost thinking he'd be an eagle for life. You know, the fact that he... And he still at, could be. The fact that he played at Temple is good. And, you know, he's finally kind of back home, if you will. I thought that was going to be the thought process. But if that's the case, that's also, you know, that's good drafting by Howie. I always like when you're thinking not of just always your immediate needs, but also of needs in the next couple of years. But let me ask you this. You said Sweat and Brandon Graham have both been a little quiet to start the year. At what point... If we don't see those guys starting to pick it up, because like you said, they both had career sack years last year. At what point do we maybe see them going a little smaller on the line, uh, you know, at the edge, and Nolan Smith cuts into some of their playing time? You know, I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't mind, and I know this almost contradicts what I was just saying, but I wouldn't mind seeing them get him some more snaps that way. Um, when you look at it, like a lot of the reason for the sack totals being down this season, I've said it almost every week, is these quarterbacks that we've played have been getting the ball out really fast. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, Brandon Graham's got a great bull rush, but it's hard to get there in two and a half seconds with a bull rush. If you got a speedy guy coming off of the edge that can win with a hand fight, uh, you know, a rip move, a club move, something like that, and he can get to the quarterback within that two and a half seconds, I don't see why you don't at least try it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And despite, you know, Nolan and Hassan would make you a little smaller on the outside, you know, we talked about how Dean's a little smaller at the inside linebacker position. I think having Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter, just two absolute mammoths on the inside, you know, I think that, helps offset that a little bit, if you will. And real quick, talking about Jalen Carter being out, Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox, excuse me, played a lot of snaps yesterday, and I thought he played really well. I, I also want to just throw that out there. Yeah, Cox is having a sneaky good year this year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll be honest with you, when they re-signed him in the offseason and let TJ Edwards walk, I, along with a lot of other people, were pretty pissed off. Like, I would have much... At yeah. that time, I would have much rather had kept TJ Edwards and let um, and let Cox walk. TJ Edwards is kind of like that quiet fan favorite, right? Like everybody talks about Kelsey because, like, he's you know obviously he's Jason Kelsey and he's like the epitome of what the franchise is. But TJ Edwards is like that quiet guy too that everybody loves that kind of just goes unnoticed. 
but he's kind of a hard-nosed linebacker that just made tackles. Yeah, he wasn't supposed to be a star. He just did his job, went about everything. Right, he was quiet. He wasn't in the news cycle. Like, just did his job, made tackles when they when they were in front of him. Um, you know, wore the headset on the defense last year. Mm-hmm. Just and and this is a town that's been deprived. Yeah, of solid linebacker play for a long time. And you got it last year from TJ Edwards. It's the last linebacker they had, probably Jeremiah Trotter. Uh, Jeremiah Trotter is the last Pro Bowl linebacker that we've had. Um, other than that, the last guy that had like some real potential was Jordan Hicks. And they let him walk and go to Arizona. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now he's on Minnesota, I believe. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he had promise, but not. Not to the level of like well, those those first two seasons Trotter. in Philly were like next like he he looked like a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker yeah and then he got that big ticket in Arizona and that, <laughs> that was the end of it yeah of course of course um, circling back to the offense real quick um, we already talked about Jalen Devonte terrible games what have you um, Driscoll also didn't play great uh, for, for whatever it's worth like I I said beforehand when Jurgens got injured and Suapeta came in, I said, I think Driscoll is the best backup offensive lineman in the league. I thought I would have played him over anybody else at backup position. And he, you know, he came in at tackle when Johnson got injured and he didn't play great. Yeah. Well, and now I'll say this though, because I'm with you. I think, I think Driscoll is a great backup offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I think he could probably start on a lot of teams. Um, but it's a lot harder to come off the bench when you're not really expecting to play. That's that's true. And but you don't have a chance to to scheme scheme some stuff up to maybe help mask. Like if they're if they're dialing up plays on the offensive side of the ball with the intention of having Lane Johnson at right tackle, a guy that hasn't given up a sack in two seasons. It's a different approach. It's completely different when you're preparing to have Jeff Driscoll in at right tackle. Now, is there some onus to go to the offensive coaching staff for not making those adjustments? Yeah. Once Driscoll had to go into the game. Yeah, absolutely. You're right about the coaching staff needing to adjust. I I agree with that. You know, and keep I, a tight end and leave the running back in the backfield to to, to chip somebody. Right, I, I agree. Send some help that way. I agree. It's tough to know that you're not coming in and then to have to try to play and contribute at you know a high level. But as a swing backup offensive lineman, like that's your you know job. that's your job. Yeah, right. like you know, I I like I get it. Right, like sitting over there not playing and all of a sudden, hey, you're in. You know, and again, they got some good pieces on that D line, you know, Quentin Williams, what have you. It's tough, but like, yeah, that's your job. So you got to be prepared for that. No, I got you. Like, like I said, I think it's more on the coaching staff for, for maybe not sending some more help to that right side, especially with both starting linemen on that right side being out. Yeah. Now, I think they left those guys maybe a little too much on an island. You might be right with that. Now, I heard Lane say, he wants to play next week. He feels fine. He thinks he's going to be ready to go. High ankle sprains can be tough, right? Like, it's good. It wasn't anything structural. He's not going to be gone for a while. But I think long-term, it may be best if he sits one week. Is there any chance we see a Tyler Steen sighting? Or it's it's Driscoll all the way. There's no thought about it. 
Well, if they deactivate Lane to get him healthy, mm-hmm. which I think is what they should do, right? This is this is back to back years with this high ankle sprain. Granted, it's on a different leg this year, but you all you heard last year was Lane Johnson's so tough. Look at what he's playing through. Look at what he's playing through. That was at the end of the season. Do you want him to play through the entire season with this nagging high ankle sprain mm-hmm. and then he's not ready to go for the playoffs? If you feel like you have some competent guys that can fill the gap in the meantime to get him back 100%, you're only six weeks into the season. Yeah, it's a long – I mean, it's one of the shorter pro seasons. going but it's still where you want to go – Right, if we're going as deep as we want to go, if we're going on another deep playoff run, if we're if we want to go to the Super Bowl, which if they play like they did yesterday, obviously they're not right. Mm. But if that's where you think this team can go, you have to deactivate them for a couple of games, let them get a hundred percent, and then bring them back into the fold. And if that's the case, I think you'll absolutely see them elevate Tyler Steen. I think he'll be the next man up. And I think Driscoll, if he has to play next week, if they do the right thing and they deactivate Lane for a couple weeks, I think Driscoll will play much better next week. And I think a lot of that will have to do with with the offense taking a better approach at, at trying to give some extra help to that right side. All right, so, so you do think it'll be Driscoll. You don't think there's any thought really at Tyler Steen going in there? Yes. Okay. I, I I would agree with that. And you know, again, I agree with what you said. Anytime you lose a player of Lane's caliber, it's going to be a slight hit. But there's a reason you have some quality backup linemen. And like you said, beginning of the year, you you got to think long term end goal. And you know, obviously, Lane Johnson's a competitor. He's going to want to fucking play. Oh, I'm fine. I can play through it. But and so, it's up to this Eagles coaching staff. Yeah, exactly. To tell him no. This is not what's best for you or the team. I, I agree. I agree. Long term. Short term, would it be great to have him out there against Miami and Buffalo? And yeah, absolutely. But it's not what's best for the length, for the long run, for the whole season. One thousand percent. You know, you're right. And I hate to say this. But despite being five and one, I do feel like there's some big time question marks surrounding this team. I agree. Now, I'll say this, though, and I don't want everybody to think that this is like a sky is falling kind of a situation. No, no, no. Because it's not. We're, we're still a good football team. We're still sitting at the top of a very weak conference. But nonetheless, we're sitting at the top of the conference. We're sitting at the top of our division. Um. I'd almost rather them go through some of their woes because you're going to have woes throughout the season. Right, right. Um, Last year, it was towards the end of the year. You know, we all think back to last year, and it's like, oh, yeah, this team was dominant. This team was this. This team was that. And, yeah, they were all of those things until the last four or five games of the season when Jalen Hurts is hurt, and you have to throw him into action against a Giants team in week 18 to try and secure the one seed because you couldn't get it done while he was out hurt. 
You couldn't get it done against the Saints. You couldn't get it done against the Cowboys. Yeah, I think that's a little different because you're starting quarterbacks out. Like, yeah, they they struggled right. for a couple games, but, but that's, that's my point. You have woes throughout the season, regardless right, right. of what they are. And I'd almost rather them get them out of the way now, yeah. early on in the season, and be playing their best football come January, December. Yeah, because sometimes the team that wins the Super Bowl or that makes a run in the end, it's not always the best team. It's just who's hot at the right time, you know. So, so that's a very good point. Absolutely. Um, you got anything else for the people before we roll? Nah, I'm good, brother. All right. Can't thank everybody enough for rocking with us here tonight. Facebook, Twitter, everybody's going to check this out over on Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to be a friend. Tell a friend where to get the best Eagles talk in all of Philadelphia. And beyond that, of course, is right here Sundays for the birds. We'll catch you guys right back here on Friday as we preview Eagles Miami Sunday night football. Yes, sir. In South Philadelphia. Go Phils. Game one NLCS tonight. Your boy will be at game two NLCS tomorrow. Go Fightings. Go Birds. Catch you guys right back here on Friday. Sundays for the Birds. E-A-T-L-E.